Welcome to episode number 137 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're covering a case study of the Murray Grain Elevator Explosion of 1919. So we give quite a few of these case studies every so often in terms of looking at a specific combustible dust explosion, its impact, its lessons learned, its importance in the kind of history books and analogs of, of combustible dust. We've done this on grain dust explosions, nylon flock, uh, sawdust, metal dust, fish meal factories, throw out a, a number of different uh, case studies that we give in the podcast. So we'll have links to all the different case studies in this episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 137. Um, I believe there's six or seven of them that we've done so far. So in terms of this case study, this is based off an article that was written by our team at Dust Safety Science. That article is Forgotten Disaster, the Murray Grain Elevator Explosion of 1919. This explosion occurred in a period of, of interest in terms of combustible dust, if we can call it that, between May 20 and September 13, 1919. So just six or so month period, there were four large grain elevator explosions in the U.S. where the grain elevators were completely destroyed, leaving over 70 people fatally injured and, and 60 more with non-fatal injuries in that period. So four grain elevator explosions, killing over 70 people and injuring 60 more. The Murray grain elevator explosion occurred in Kansas City, Missouri, and was the last of these to happen. So September 13, 1919. This is tragic but it's also of interest in terms of the history of combustible dust because this was the period that really led to insurers taking notes into the industries taking notes themselves into some big changes in terms of how things like NFPA developed in terms of combustible dust, insurance agencies developed in terms of combustible dust, OSHA and leading into the OSHA grain handling standard, which was over 60 years later. But a lot of the fundamental research that was done was done because of these large grain elevator explosions that we saw back in this time. So three of these disasters, the Milwaukee Works, Port Colborne, and Douglas Starch Work explosions, um, have been pretty well outlined in the regional history books. If you go to those towns and cities, you can get good information on them. However, this fourth one doesn't really have much information. That was the interesting part when our research team started looking into it. Really, they just saw you know, a Wikipedia entry with the, they said it was a grain elevator, said Kansas City, but didn't say the company, didn't say anything about what happened. And in this particular explosion on September 13th, 1919, 14 men lost their lives, 10 were injured. The property damage was over $650,000. That's in $1919. The community there in, in Kansas City and Missouri, close to the Murray Grain Elevator, lost a key employee, employer rather, during their post-World War I recovery. Um, families lost husbands, fathers, and sons. And there's a lot of lessons that came out of this that we're reliving today. Even in the case studies that I talk about grain handling facilities previously on the podcast um, in 78, grain dust explosion and milling facility of Dr. Suzanne Smith uh, and other grain dust explosions, we're reliving these same lessons learned. So it's important to bring these to the forefront. So this, the research that was done by our research team and, and led by our, uh, Rose, our, our lead technical writer there, really focused on news articles at the time of the incident, but also the Proceedings of a Conference, and this is the title of the, the Proceedings, Proceedings of a Conference of Men Engaged in Grain Dust Explosion and Fire Prevention Campaigns Conducted by the United States Grain Corporation in cooperation with the Bureau of Chemistry 
and the United States Department of Agriculture. That's a long title. That was a document that was published in 1920 or proceedings that were held, a conference that was held that a lot of this material came out of in terms of the original research. So today we're going to cover an overview of the grain terminal, lead up to the fatal explosion, what actually happened, what were the impact on workers, and look at the investigation that was done afterwards and some of the lessons learned, or in the famous words of the late Dr. Sam Nan, lessons that were not learned from this sort of tragedy. So just as a summary, at 3 p.m. on September 13th, 1919, the Murray Grain Elevator uh, had a large explosion in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, the elevator was quite uh, destroyed by the explosion. 14 men lost their lives, 10 were injured, and property damage was estimated $650,000. So I'm going to kind of jump in between summarizing some of the material from the article and then actually going and reading some of the quotes that are directly in the article. Um, again, you can get a link to the article at dustsafetyscience.com slash 137. So in terms of the elevator itself, this was a, a quite a large grain elevator. Uh, it was owned by the Federal Grain Company. It was built in Kansas City, Missouri in 1905 and located at the north end of the Armour Swift Burlington Bridge. The terminal itself, or the grain elevator, was constructed entirely of concrete, tile, and steel. It had a one and a half million bushel capacity. There are some images of the actual grain elevator itself in the article, and it has two large units of storage tanks. Each unit is approximately six by three, six by four. So we're talking 20 to 40 silos in each unit, 80 different storage silos for grain. And they had several processing units, a large headhouse, um, and other components of the, the grain elevator as well. Leading up to the fatal explosion, there were some investigations that were being done by um, government inspectors on this grain facility. I'm going to read some notes directly from the article that our research team put together. So the notes start September 5th, 1919. So this is uh, eight days before the fatal explosion. J.O. Reed was alarmed. As an inspector for the U.S. Grain Corporation, he visited grain elevators across the country and reviewed their operations and safety standards. Reed had seen a lot of facilities that needed work, especially after the war ended, but the Murray Grain Elevator had him worried. Our research team went and actually found some of the notes from this inspection that uh, J.O. Reed did, and he made the following observations when he went through and did this inspection. Only the floors of the facility were clean. Overhead dust had accumulated on flanges of the ceiling and I-beams. Some places the piles were so high that any further buildup tumbled to the floor. There were excessive amounts of dust in the shaft containing the stairways, the elevator, and the main rope drive. Dust was piled in the tunnels leading underneath the storage tank, the basin was especially dusty, especially on the trunking of the dust collector. The dust was noted as being very black, old, fine, and dry. There was a huge accumulation of dust under one large machine. Workmen had swept around it, but not underneath it. Dust was several inches thick on and underneath two grain cleaning machines located in the north end of the working floor. The switch and fuse boxes were very dusty. So these are some of the notes from Mr. Reed's notebook in terms of the fuel available. He also made some notes on potential ignition sources. He said there was a hot bearing in the counter shaft driving the fan on the top floor. He said that one of the extension cords on the top floor was in poor condition and worn at the socket. Not too far away was a partially filled fire extinguisher. Uh, he didn't say this, but presumably to put out a fire that came from that cord. Carbon filaments were used for lighting everywhere in the plant. There's no protection on the electric light bulbs. So these were extremely dusty bulbs that were also a possibility of ignition sources. The article goes on to talk about Reed's confrontation with the facility owners. 
And actually, at some point, he, he became exacerbated and decided he'd show the workers what could happen if the conditions continued. So after ordering a temporary halt to operations, Reed called everyone into the engine room where he picked up a pile of waste, dipped in oil and lit it. After dropping the burning waste on the floor, he shook a dusty sack over, producing a small explosion and flash fire. So we see this today when you go in and do an inspection of a facility as a government official, as an inspector, as a consultant that's doing a DHA, and you see these conditions that just have a lot of dust around, a lot of ignition sources. One of the biggest lessons learned that I want to get out of this case study today is you need to not ignore those, especially, well, just flat out, you need to not ignore those. Another thing you need to not ignore is when you're having these fires, when you're having fire extinguishers being released, those are precursors to a larger incident that could escalate and cause large facility damage. Unfortunately, there was no changes really at the facility from this inspection that was done. And a follow-up inspection was actually done the day before the, the large explosion on September 12th and noted that plant maintenance was still poor and recommendations from the September 5th inspection were yet to be implemented. Unfortunately, there was not time to implement those recommendations because just the next day on September 13th, 1919 disaster struck. From the investigation, a maintenance man noted that he noticed blue flames shooting out of electric light wires while he was cleaning the boot to one of the grain elevators. He had no time, he stated that he had no time to react before an explosion occurred. This explosion blew out sections of the main building's walls and roof and damaged the used grain tanks on the west side of the property. So I'm going to go back in and read some notes from the actual article itself. So the article says that the timbers and pieces of terracotta brick fell upon the structure containing the elevator's power sources and injured people inside. The impact even caused nearby homes to shake, breaking windows and cracking plaster walls. There were around 40 men in the elevator at the time. Some were blown clear off the building while they're staggered from the ruins with their clothing burned off. One man felt Greg George Zarzi found himself in a wheat field 350 feet away after the explosion. J.D. Snowden, an inspector from Missouri State, weighing inspection department, was reviewing the weighing operations on the 10th floor when the explosion happened. He stated that we were at the south end of the building when the explosion occurred. He later told the Kansas City Star, there seemed to be a great tearing and rendering of everything in the building, and then we were enveloped by a blue flame. Snowden went on to say, there were two men working on the floor above us. Snowden said, sadly, I don't know what happened to them. So this was a very large explosion that ripped through the fugitive dust built up in the facility, um, destroying most of the, the contents of the buildings. In terms of an investigation after the incident, the investigation team was made of three folks. Uh, J.O. Reed was the investigator whose he warnings were, were not heeded leading up to the incident. Um, Dr. J.D. Price, who was an engineer in charge of the Bureau of Chemistry in the Department of Agriculture. Price was also the director of the campaign to eliminate dust explosions in mills and elevators. And Vernon Fitzsimmons, who had the government's anti-dust explosion campaign in the Northwestern District. I just want to pause here for a note of how the government and U.S. agencies at the time were looking at dust explosions. So we have the director of the campaign to eliminate dust explosions in mills and elevators, and we had the head of the government's anti-dust explosion campaign. These are groups that were put together in the mid-1910s, in, in 1919 and before, to address this issue of combustible dust in grain facilities and also in other facilities as well. So this isn't a new problem. You know, it, it was, hasn't been just since the 2000s that we've been trying to tackle these challenges with combustible dust. 
Uh, it's been going on well over 100 years and, and even further than that. And we're still reliving some of these same issues that we see. Fugitive dust, ignition sources, incident investigation, um, inspections, and hazard analysis as being lead challenges. A couple of things that came out of the investigation, one in particular was that there was this real sense that the, the structure itself, because it was so strong and made out of concrete, that it was fireproof. And this meant that there were no fire safety resources at hand. The nearest hydrant was over 8,000 feet away, and this really hindered the firefighting efforts. It's kind of like the Titanic in that way, you know, the unsinkable ship, so there's not enough life rafts for everybody. This is a real lesson learned as well. Even if you have the proper prevention measures in place for fire and explosion, you still need to be concerned about what's going to happen when one does happen. Don't build the unsinkable ship or the fireproof building that when something does happen, you're not prepared for what uh, how to respond to that. The investigation itself determined that the explosion originated in the basement area. It propagated up through the man lift tower on the side of the elevator and blew out the walls with very aggressive force. Pieces of 16-inch concrete walls were found hundreds of feet from the site and the entire working shed was blown away leaving a demolished grain dryer behind and in the words of J.O. Reed again he said I don't think there's an explosion that has ever occurred in a grain elevator in this country in which there was more force displayed and this is the this is the fourth incident of the last six months that caused on the order of 10 or more fatalities and this one doesn't even get written about in the history books. It's hard to find this information, which is why we want to get it out there uh, today in today's podcast episode. Another kind of interesting aspect was during the investigation afterwards and the coroner's inquiry, the maintenance worker, his name was Charlie Tatum, repeated his story of seeing blue flames coming out of the electric light wires. But there was the allegations made that someone had lit a cigarette in the basement area. And these sort of took over as being believed to be the main ignition criteria. We see this time and time again where if you do that, the problem is that you're blaming it on a worker's behavior when it really was probably something in the processing operation. In this case, the lights were not set up to be ignition proof and to avoid actually igniting an explosion. So it kind of shifted the investigation way more to looking at the wrongdoings of the people instead of looking at the systems and the process in place, which really hinders the learning moving forward. There was a pretty big, we'll say, improvement of grain elevator fire and explosion safety after this incident, after this really bad year in 1919. There's also renewed activity among fire underwriters and insurance professionals who had considered fireproofing to be sufficient protection for grain elevators. Now they were reinspecting their facilities for dust explosion hazards. Now, I haven't really closed the loop on this, but I think this is probably around the time that we saw NFPA get involved quite heavily with coming up with best engineering practices, where we saw groups like the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Bureau of Mines, and others take up this cry for dust explosions. And I've talked about this in previous podcast episodes, then start working internationally with groups like Poland and Norway and other countries in the world to investigate these sort of things. It really started this research renaissance in combustible dust that has led almost 100 years later to where we are today with some more uptake in different areas. And you know, people forget the lessons learned as we go as well. One inspector, H.J. Helmkemp, wrote, the terminal elevators in Omaha and Kansas City, with the possible exception of one or two, I found to be the cleanest I'd ever found in one locality, and I think this is one of the big improvements that can be said to result from the Kansas City explosion. Nearly all recommendations were gladly received. In many cases, I was asked to pay particular attention to certain parts of the plant or to certain equipment in the plant in order to determine the dust explosion hazard. 
at all times possible courtesy was shown to the men engaged in this work. So we have this kind of, we had a large scale explosion, the ship gets uprighted, everyone pays attention, and then we drift off in time. And we see this again and again. It could be said to have happened with even Imperial Sugar, uh, where we had a big focus in terms of the chemical safety board, in terms of other groups for combustible dust, in terms of these sort of food processing facilities, is that dropping away? Would that same inspector 100 years later make the same note that they're the cleanest facilities ever seen? Or are we just waiting to have another large-scale explosion to, to cause that to happen? So just in conclusion then, over 100 years have passed since the Murray Grain Elevator explosion. Um, this is one of four in 1919 that led to over 70 fatalities and sick workers being injured. This is the one that has the most, the least amount of coverage about it. So that's why we wrote this article. Again, you find the article in the show notes. We'll have a link to it at dustsafetyscience.com slash 137. Some of the big takeaways from this incident investigation or this case study are the need to take near misses seriously, the need to take fire seriously, you need to take deflagrations that don't cause facility loss or harm to individuals seriously. It's very often the precursors to a larger incident that causes more loss. You also really need to look at your hazard assessment, your facility walkthrough, whatever processes you're using, your dust hazard analysis, your risk assessment to identify controls that are in place, protections that are in place, and to fill the gaps so they have your facility that's operating safely in terms of combustible dust. In this case, they had several investigations, but the most recent one was just a number of days before the explosion happened. And it was really a scathing report of the risk associated with dust explosions at that facility. And then this came to fruition just a couple of days later. Another big lesson learned is around the belief of an unsinkable ship. Don't be the Titanic. Don't let the folks that you're working with out there be the Titanic. It's not fireproof. And if it is fireproof, then you need to even look at it even closer. We see this with inerting systems. You'll say, well, it's inerted. It can't have an explosion. That means that you need to look at your explosion scenarios and the response to them with even more of a critical eye. Because when they do happen, you're not going to have the safeguards in place that you would otherwise have in place. And that can lead to a large escalation, a large domino effect in terms of what happens. Um, and then the last lesson learned that I highlight is this blaming on the workers, not the processing system. As a society, as a community, we're very quick to say somebody did the wrong thing. And had they not done that thing, the explosion wouldn't happen. Um, in this case, it even sort of you know put the blinders on to what the, the real scenario likely was said we blame on somebody smoking instead of the lighting system at the facility that could have ignited the explosion, even though there was testimony from one of the folks that survived the explosion saying otherwise. So that's it for this episode. If you like these case study type of episodes, let me know. You can reach me at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. I can also go to the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 137. We'll have a list of all the previous case studies we've done, a list, a link rather to the article Forgotten Disaster, the Murray Grain Elevator Explosion of 1919. Um, and as always, I just want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead, and I appreciate everything you're doing. The industry's handling combustible dust, making them safer around the world every day with the work that you do. Mm-hmm.